There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. Lovers lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up tempo. I want something snappy. Halloween is just around the corner, and Greg and I are feeling a bit morbid. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. Today we play songs about getting whacked, sleeping with the fishes, and being off. That's right, we're talking about murder. Plus, we've got a review of the latest from Pearl Jam. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and Greg, it is time to celebrate your favorite holiday, Halloween. Yes, on uh, my block on the northwest side of Chicago, I think Halloween is a bigger holiday than Christmas. People do it up. (laughs) Well, it it is the most rock and roll of holidays. Yes, and uh, we celebrate it at uh, Sound Opinions as well. Almost every year we've been on the air. This year we're going to be focusing on songs about murder. There's a, a zillion songs in this just narrow area of music going back centuries. It's, right. it's one of the key themes in music. But we didn't want to just focus on the murder ballad. We're doing songs that are across the spectrum, ballads and rockers and you name it. As always, when we do this kind of show, we like to do the ceremonial coin toss. Let's nod to the, our, our film critic brothers at uh, Film Spotting and, and go with our favorite horror movie each. Great idea, Jim. I'm going to go with The Shining. Here's Johnny. Uh, a classic. A classic. I'm going with the original Evil Dead. The Coen Brothers and Sam Raimi, that version, it's just, it scared the heck out of me, but it's cheesy as anything. So the coin is in the air. Hey, and the Evil Dead wins. That means I get to go first. Okay, I just said Halloween is the most rock and roll of holidays, and I'm going to go to the genre that I think is the most Halloween in all of rock and roll. I am talking, of course, about heavy metal. But I'm going to go to a classic. You know, it struck me, 412 shows of sound opinions. We have, have we really never played Iron Maiden on this show? Huge oversight. Huge oversight. One of the key bands in the so-called new wave of British heavy metal in the early 80s. And I'm going to early Iron Maiden. Their first two albums had a vocalist named... Paul DeAnno, who was uh, sacked after he had uh, cocaine and alcohol problems. Most people know the Iron Maiden of Bruce Dickinson, you know, with the great human vibrato opera voice. But early on, they had a good singer, too. And the classic tune I'm going to play is The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Now, similarly, I would say that Edgar Allan Poe is the most Halloween of anybody in the literary canon, right? And also the most rock and roll. It makes sense that a metal band would write a song about what is in essence, the first detective story in history. Many, many literary scholars, many professors say this is where the modern detective story began. And, uh, you know, there's an awful murder and two women are are murdered and shoved into a chimney. The lyrics for Iron Maiden, I think, play fast and loose with the actual Poe story. I'm just guessing that these young metalheads really didn't actually ever read it, but they thought it would be cool to refer to Edgar Allan Poe. You know, kind of the closest you get is murder in the room or someone called the gendarmes right <laughs> it's it's a great song and it has that wonderful gallivanting iron maiden rhythm that would become so famous in those guitars the dueling guitars here it is murders in the room Org by iron maiden on sound opinions I'm never gonna stay, boy, 
murders in the Rue Morgue. They're never going to find me, says Iron Maiden. Greg, what's your first murder song pick? Jim, I'm going to play a song or a version of a song that I think may be the most covered murder song of the last century. At least some major artists have covered it. People like James Brown, Wilson Pickett, Nick Cave, Pete Seeger, Burt Yanch, John Fahey, Beck. The list goes on. It is the song Stagger Lee. It was written in uh, the early part of the 20th century about a real-life incident that occurred in St. Louis in 1895 when one Stag Lee Shelton killed Billy Lyons over an argument in a saloon over gambling money. Now, what really ticked off Stag Lee was that Lyons stole his Stetson hat. (laughs) said, I'm going to kill you. Apparently, he blew a hole in him so large that it broke a bartender's glass on the other side as a result. So this incident was written about. A song was created around it. Many blues artists began covering it. One of the most famous versions was done in 1928 by Mississippi John Hurt, and it has been appropriated by many artists since, uh, many of them changing the lyrics to sort of suit them, but the story basically staying the same. My favorite version of the track, though, is by Ike and Tina Turner from the 60s. Primarily because there's a part in the song where Lyons is begging for his life. I mean, he's desperate. And and Tina Turner, the way she can scream out those lines, conveys that desperation best of all. It is truly, truly creepy. Here's Ike and Tina Turner with Staggerly on Sound Opinions. Staggerly with Tina Turner begging for her life in Oof. Billy Lyon's place. Uh, Ike and Tina Turner doing that classic song on Sound Opinions. Jim, what do you got next? Well, Greg, we've used this term murder ballad, and it goes back to 
centuries of British Isles folk music. You know, the story, the creepy story of a murderous tale done up in a sort of folk way. And then, uh, of course, when rock came along, there were many great folk rock ballads. Fairport Convention was very good at them. And they've continued to this day. You know, Johnny Cash, we're not going to be that obvious, but he did a bunch on those American mm-hmm, albums. And, sure. you know, essentially Nick Cave's entire career. So it started as an historical song type and then became sort of a genre prevalent in all of rock. I'm going to play a murder ballad from a very unlikely source. The Violent Femmes, the trio from Milwaukee that was semi-acoustic, had such a spectacular debut album and became a staple before the alternative era, breaking into mainstream rock radio with great songs like Blister in the Sun. But they were all kind of fun party Mm -hmm. anthems, right? When it came time for album number two, Gordon Gano went back, as he did for the first album, to songs he had written in high school. The the tale is that he wrote the tune I'm going to play in his 10th grade study hall. Hmm. He was a devout Christian, and he wanted to write a murder ballad that was sort of a uh, penitence tale based on a true story from 1862 about a man who threw his daughter into a well and then hanged himself in his barn. The tune I'm going to play is the opening track on album number two, Hallowed Ground. The song's called Country Death Song. This is the oral version of that book. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Wisconsin Death Trip. It's a classic book of 1890s photographs of funeral homes and murder scenes in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, it's kind of a (laughs) creepy place. A lot of murderers in Wisconsin that have made, you know, worldwide headlines. So this was a weird place for the Violent Femmes to go, and it was sort of a statement. You know, there's more to us than just those acoustic party ditties. Here it is. It's called Country Death Song by the Violent Femmes on Sound Opinions. I had me a wife. I had me some daughters. I tried so hard. I never knew still waters. Nothing to eat and nothing to drink. Nothing for a man to do but sit around and think. Nothing for a man to do but sit around.
Oh, talk about creepy. Country Death Song by the Violent Femmes. The trio augmented there, uh, Greg, by the great banjo player, Tony Trishka. We love hearing from you, the listeners at home, and we got a lot of email suggestions, a lot of Facebook suggestions for picks. I have to say, this Violent Femmes track was by far the number one winner. My favorite email was from uh, Daniel Jones in the Bronx, who said that this song is the one that Flannery O'Connor would have written if she'd happened to be a a post-punk musician in Milwaukee. (laughs) I just love that. Everybody's a critic. You know that, listeners. We'd love to hear from you. Why don't we turn it over to uh, some suggestions from people out there? Yes, we should, Jim. First up, we We've got Camille calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. Camille, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you so much. So what killer track tops your list? My number one favorite has to be Buenas Noches from A Lonely Room by Dwight Yoakam. I think it's such an amazing song. It was written by him, and it's from the album of the same name, released in 1988. But my favorite version of the song is on DwightYoakamAcoustic.net, his acoustic CD that he released in 2000. And the song itself, to me, it just it starts off so sweetly. You know, his lady left him and for another man, and he's just brokenhearted, and he talks about her red dresses and her black shining hair. She wore red dresses with her black shining hair. Oh, she had my baby and caused me to care. But his fury quickly becomes apparent as he's, you know, talking about vengeance and singing about the pain and anger destroying his weak mind, and he finds them and gets his vengeance. And the imagery is beautiful, even in the the violence of the of the outcome. You know, and there, there's something about Dwight Yoakam in, in that, uh, you know, he can convey layers of meaning uh, and layers of, of personality, one of which is sort of threatening, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, and he, you know, he's done some acting, and most of the, his, the characters he's played have also been menacing and threatening. So. He's a good bad guy. Yeah, he's definitely, he's a great bad guy, and but his voice is so amazing, and it's just so filled with sorrow in this song, and you, you feel sorry for him even as he shoots the lady in the head, you know, you're like, oh. <laughs> Poor Dwight Yoakam, you know, his heart was broken. And and somehow you don't really feel too bad for the lady. Well, the pain and the anger destroyed my weak mind. Oh, she wore red dresses and left the wounded behind. Okay, moving on to Fahad in Bordentown, New Jersey. Fahad, what song did you want to nominate? Well, the uh, the murder ballad I was thinking of was uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer by the Beatles yeah. on the Abbey Road album. The character of Maxwell asks a girl out on a date, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, she opens the door and he beats her to death with a hammer. <laughs> Yeah. We're yeah. laughing, but that's it's kind of absurd, isn't it? You know? Well, we're laughing because those lovable mop tops are supposed to be the good boys, you and, know. And McCartney's singing it in that kind of congenial Paul McCartney voice, right? With a little bit of vaudeville shtick in it, yeah. you know. A knock comes on the door. Bang, bang, that's well silver. Sure that she was dead. 
what drew you to the song? I mean, what was it of all the murder songs in the world? Why this one? I think it's just fascinating how characters like Maxwell can be sort of considered uh, heroes in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sure, and, the great, the great tradition of the anti-hero, breaking, right? Exactly. Breaking Bad or Dexter. Or... And if, to me, I remember the first time hearing it, um, and I was thinking, oh, this is kind of a funny little ditty here. And then all of a sudden, you know, talking about uh, beating somebody to death with a hammer, I was just kind of shocked. Like, what the heck is going on with this song? I'm just surprised how. I guess it, it would have to take someone like the Beatles to get away with that. Only the Beatles. Yeah. Only the Beatles. We appreciate your coming on Sound Opinion. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah thanks. A couple of Halloween selections from our listeners, and Jim and I are going to continue counting down our favorite murderous melodies after a quick break here on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Then, it's the latest from Pearl Jam. Stood in the crowd and shed not a tear. But sometimes at night, when the cold wind moans in a long black veil, she cries over my bones. She walks these hills in a long black veil. She visits my grave when the night winds wave. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we are running down some of our favorite murder songs of all time in honor of Halloween, and I'm going to come back with a really good one. 11th Dream Day, Quartet out of Chicago, great band, uh, twin guitars in this particular lineup with Rick Rizzo and Baird Figgy, the drummer's Janet Bean, who would become uh, Rizzo's wife for a time, future member of Freakwater, and the bassist Doug McComb, future member of Tortoise. Tortoise. First album came out in 1988, Prairie School Freakout, and it has a song on it written by Bean called Death of Albert C. Sampson. A fictional song, but based on uh, real events. I mean, we'd been seeing some of these incidents over the decades. You know, the drifter who uh, wanders into town, robs a grocery store, kills a grocer, goes on the run, ends up holing up in some rural town, finds a barn to live in for a few days. Pretty soon the cops catch up with him. And this spectacle starts to form around it. The the, the interesting part of the song is not only the demise of the killer in this barn, 
but the sort of way the town turns it into a, a brand of entertainment as they're watching this struggle go on between the cops and this killer hold up in this uh, last refuge. In a lot of ways, a, a prescient song. You know, when you think about the media spectacles that would would surround O.J. Simpson or or the Boston Marathon bombers, it you know it, it's kind of chilling to think that tragedies become these sort of media events. And this was kind of a mini version of that. It's the death of Albert C. Sampson from 11th Dream Day on Sound Opinions. Death of Albert C. Sampson by 11th Dream Day. Nice pick there, Greg Cott. I'm going to go to country music next because we all know country music loves a good murder song. I guess there's a little glee in my voice as I say that. I, I want to firmly make this point. Sound Opinions does not endorse the kind of behavior we are playing on this show. Although I think my next pick, uh, you got to argue that this guy uh, he really had it coming. Goodbye Earl has a fascinating history before it became a huge hit single for the Dixie Chicks. Really the song that put them on the map and it first started getting them in trouble, you know, because they're advocating the killing of a wife beater. It was written by a man and he had a series of songs, Dennis Lind, about this character he named Earl. And he got tired of writing songs about Earl, so he figured, <laughs> I've got to kill Earl. And his goal was to kill Earl in a way that combined Fried Green Tomatoes, the movie, and Thelma and Louise. Mm. Now, of course, domestic abuse is no laughing 
matter. This is a man who beats his wife. There's two women who were friends in high school, Marianne and Wanda. The one marries this creep. It's a horrible relationship, and she tries to get out of it the right way. She she goes to court. She files a restraining order. But, you know, to quote the lyrics, Earl walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care. So what do the two friends do? They off Earl. Mm. And with a number of creative ways, including poisoning his black-eyed peas, the food, not the band. Mm-hmm. And they stand over him as he's eating his peas, and they say, what, what, you know, you're, you're feeling a little tired? Why don't you lay down, Earl, in this tarp? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Earl winds up uh, eventually six feet under, and uh, Marianne and Wanda are happier for it, and the Dixie Chicks become stars. How can you not love a happy ending like that, as macabre as it is to get there? Here are the Dixie Chicks with Goodbye Earl on Sound Opinions. Marianne and Wanda were the best of friends all through their high school days. Both members of the 4-H club, both active in the FFA. After graduation, Marianne went out looking for a bright new world. Wanda looked all around this town and all she found was That's 
Goodbye Earl from the Dixie Chicks, one of uh, Jim DeRogatis' favorite uh, murder songs. Jim, I gotta say, something about that song has always creeped me out because of the exuberance behind it. They really enjoyed killing this guy. Yeah, you, you know? Natalie Maines <laughs> takes great, great pleasure in it, yeah. I'm gonna go back to something a little bit more sinister, Jim. Uh, 1993, the track Murder Was the Case by Snoop Doggy Dog, as he was known then. Of course, he transitioned into Snoop Dogg, and now he's known as Snoop Lion. We wanna get that right. Absolutely. But uh, when he was Snoop Doggy Dog, he was working with uh, Dr. Dre, who was then the biggest producer in hip hop. And uh, this was that whole transition from gangster rap being an underground art form into something way more mainstream. Two million selling album with this song as one of the centerpieces of that record. You know, this kind of inverts the usual narrative. When we're talking about gangster rap, we're talking a lot about drive-bys, about offing rival gang members and snuffing corrupt policemen. Here he's talking about his own death. He's lying on the street living out the last moments of his life. And you've got this great cinematic production by Dre. It's very stripped down, but you've got that tea kettle synthesizer whistling in the background. Mm. It sounds weird and eerie and mournful. And then you've got the funeral bells tolling every few bars. And meanwhile, Snoop is talking about his last minutes on Earth. He's having a conversation with God. What's the afterlife going to be like? Are my wife and kids going to be taken care of? He's fading fast. He's going down slow. It's, it's a movie in your mind. And in fact, the next year, it was actually made into a mini-movie, an 18-minute mini-movie that uh, was quite successful on its own terms. Here's Snoop Doggy Dog with Murder Was the Case on Sound Opinions. As I look up at the sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls, I'm shaking and they breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest and I'm screaming, I stop breathing, damn I see demons. Dear God, I wonder can you save me? I can't die, my boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying, hold up, her voice spoke to me and it slowly started saying. Bring your lifestyle to me, I'll make it. Who will I be the G that I want? I'll make your life better than you can imagine or even dream. So relax your soul. Let me take control. Close your eyes, my son. My eyes are closed. I'm fresh up off my coma. I got my mama and my daddy and my homies in my corner. It's gonna take a miracle late safe for me to walk again to talk again. But anyway, I get front and some tea to get back on my feet. And everything that took it that came to reality. Living like a ball alone, having money and blowing hella booze. And I don't smoke. I bought my mama a Benz and bought my boo boo a Jag. And now I'm rolling in a 9 Triz AL dog brand. Just remember, you changed your mind. Cause when you start set tripping, that's the Indeed. Agree, proceed to smoke you. Never have a want, never have a need. They say I'm greedy, but I still want more. Cause my eyes wanna turn to moat. Really though. Check it out. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord for my soul to keep. If I should die before I wait, I pray the Lord for my soul to take. No more was named gin and juice. I'm on my way to Chino, rolling on the great goose, shackle from head to toe. 25 with a Izzel with nowhere to gizzo. I know them niggas from the other side recognize my face cause it's the OG, Eagle, Double G, LBC. Mad dog and looking cause I don't care. Red jumpsuit with two braids in my head. Looking fair as I enter the center. They send me to a level three yard, that's where I stay. Late night I hear two brushes scraping on the floor. 
Looking at Nate Shanks, just in case the war pops off. Cause you can't tell what's next. My little homie, baby, boo, took a pencil in his neck. And he probably won't make it to C-22. I put that on my mama. I'ma ride for you, baby, boo. Murder was the case by the artist formerly known as Snoop Doggy Dog, a fine pick, Greg Cott. Before we get to our top death ditties, though, let's hear some more from the people at home, our listeners. Kristen is on the line from Chicago. Kristen, thanks for calling. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, now already, just saying hello, you sound like a nice, pleasant person, (laughs) and yet you are going to take us somewhere murderous musically. I guess I am. Although it sounds like you're already there. <laughs> we live there, Kristen. <laughs> well, the song I uh, emailed about is Maddie Groves, um, the Fairport Convention version. I know it's an old song. A lot of people have done it. One thing I like about the Fairport Convention song so much is that you really get some insight into three kind of complex characters in a very charged situation. It's almost like a short story. It is like a short story. With, with time for plot development, I mean, the musical breaks between the verses sort of give time to sort of dread what's coming next, and then the coda at the end um, <laughs> it gives you a chance to think about what just happened, and it's just a fantastic driving song. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, and happy Halloween. Well, thank you. You too. When it's true, I have two beaten swords, and they cost me. Okay, last up is Greg in Oswego, New York. How's it going, Greg? Uh, doing great, thanks. So what, what kind of a murder song have you got for us? Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. Oh, oh yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good one. You can't go wrong with Warren Zevon doing Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. So, yeah, who doesn't like a song about an undead, decapitated Norwegian mercenary with <laughs> thirst for vengeance? He, he really was ahead of the zombie curve, wasn't he, by a good 25 years? That's right. It's it's timely once again. Roland searched the continent for the man who'd done him in. He found him in Mombasa in a ballroom drinking gin. Roland aimed his Thompson gun. He didn't say a word, but he blew out Owen's body from there to Johannesburg. What in particular? I mean, Zevon does write a number of macabre songs. This one in particular, though, jumps out. What struck you about it? The way the anticipation builds and kind of rallies the listener behind this mercenary uh, as he uh, is seeking vengeance for himself. I feel a surge of Norwegian pride, <laughs> not Norwegian at all. You know, yeah, you know, Greg, it almost is like that that ridiculous song from the mid-60s, the Ballad of the Green Berets, yeah. and it's kind of martial harumph triumph, you know? Yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, that's great. All right, that is a great murder song. Thank you, Greg, and thanks for listening. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. 
In Ireland, in Lebanon, in Palestine, in Berkeley. Okay, Jim, back over to you. What's your final killer tune? I'm going to go with one of my personal classics, Greg. I know Neil Young is sort of a go-to for us when we do uh, list shows, and it's for a very good reason. There are very few experiences in life that Neil has not had something profound <laughs> to say uh, about them and, and a great song to go along with it, including murder. At times in his career, he's denied that Down by the River was actually about a killing, but I, I buy the interviews he's given where he said it was his attempt to write a song like Hey Joe classic, another classic like Stagger Lee that many people have covered, a great murder song. It's a woman that he's obsessed with. She takes him over the rainbow, and he loves her so much that he kills her because he's afraid of losing her. It's a sick song. You know, dead, dead, I shot her dead, he's confessing. And Neil is, 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 you know, he's a hippie. He's a peaceful guy. I I think he's always been a little embarrassed by this, but the thing that really puts it over the top is the guitar work of his, his great band, Crazy horse because you know you you can see the murder uh, being committed in your head while those two guitars are dueling with each other right I mean this is a, a classic crazy horse jam it goes on for nine minutes and I as far as I'm concerned it could go on for ten times longer here is Neil Young and crazy horse with down by the river on sound opinions you take my hand I'll take your hand together we may Madness is too much sorrow. It's impossible to make it today. She could drag me over the rainbow and send me away. Down by the river, 
Down by the River by Neil Young. Story also goes, Greg, that he was in bed with a 103-degree fever, hallucinating hmm. when he wrote that song. It adds even more creepiness. What is your final song? Jim, a bit of a twist on the murder song formula. This is a, kind of a little horror movie within this particular song. It's based on a true event. Gary Gilmore's Eyes is the name of the song by the British punk band The Adverts. Gary Gilmore was the uh, convicted robber who was committed two murders in Utah in the 70s and was sentenced to death. What was notable about that was that he became the first person executed in the United States for a crime and in about 10 years. He was actually shot by a firing squad. Yeah. Uh, what a way to go out. But one anecdote about his execution was that uh, prior to it, he agreed to donate all of his organs to science for transplant purposes mm-hmm. if needed, including his corneas. In fact, his corneas were implanted in at least one patient who needed them immediately after his death. The adverts sort of looked at that and go, well, let's extrapolate out a little further. Let's say you're the patient who gets Gary Gilmore's eyes, and the hospital staff becomes aware of this fact, and they suddenly start treating him, the patient, as a killer and begin to isolate him in the hospital, in fact, imprisoning him in his room. So there's this whole horror movie scenario being played out. It's Gary Gilmore's eyes from the adverts on Sound Opinions. That's Gary Gilmore's eyes from the adverts on Sound Opinions. If you want to share your favorite murder songs or comment on anything, and we mean anything in the rock world, give us a call at 888-859-1800. You can also email us at interact at soundopinions.org or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we'll review the new album from alternative rock giants, Pearl Jam. 
That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that's Eddie Vedder crooning once again with Pearl Jam on a song called Mind Your Manners. It's the first single from their 10th studio album, Lightning Bolt. A long time wait for this album, Greg. It's been uh, four years since 2009's Backspacer. Mother Love Bone was the band that started it all in Seattle, in the grunge era, in the late 80s, early 90s. That group ended when its lead singer died of a heroin overdose and Stone Gossard, the guitarist, and Jeff Ament, the bassist, needed something else to do. They hooked up with another guitarist, Mike McCready. They uh, made some demos with Matt Cameron, who was really playing in sound garden at the time and they found themselves a surfer dude from san diego by way of evanston illinois named eddie vetter the original band was uh, named after the nba player mookie blaylock <laughs> and uh, then they, they realized they needed a better name than that became pearl jam okay that first album 10 would become after nirvana's nevermind the landmark album in the alternative era and the most successful but it was really nirvana that opened the floodgates and though 10 was recorded in early 91 pearl jam didn't make its impact until 92 i think its biggest claim to fame right now is that that's the only arena size alternative era giant that's still out there Mm -hmm. never having broken up pearl jam never stopped they took some long breaks eddie vetter made some solo albums the other guy did different things, but they were on a tour this summer that took them to giant stadiums like Wrigley Field in Chicago. They went back into the studio about two years ago and recorded about half of this album with their longtime producer, Brendan O'Brien, and then something broke down again, and then they went in, and in a manic burst, they wrote a whole bunch of new songs, and now we have this record, Lightning Bolt. Let's play a song from it and then give our opinions. This is called Pendulum by Pearl Jam on Sound Opinions.
Pendulum from Pearl Jam's new album, Lightning Bolt, uh, the first since 2009. That Backspacer record that year was a quick, punchy record. This one's a, a lot darker, more varied, and grappling with some big questions. You know, you said that surfer dude, Eddie Vedder, you know, he's got the planet's fate on his mind. I, lo- I love that one line. <laughs> he always Whispered does. songs inside the wind feel the planet humming. He's such yeah. a he's such a <laughs> surfer boy hippie sometimes. And uh, he's tired of us saying that because yeah. the first lyric on the whole album is, everyone's a critic looking yes. back up the river. Well, he's also grappling with faith on this record. He's also a middle-aged father now. You know, he's like 48 years old. He's confronting his mortality. Some serious subjects on this record. You alluded to this earlier, Jim. They're, they're, they're sort of the classic rock band for Generation X listeners. There's a lot of references to those 60s, 70s, early 80s classics. They update them. But what I do like on this record is there's some signs of growth. That song we played, Pendulum, to me, has got a great little hook in it. It's, it's kind of a darker song, a little bit of a change of pace for them. And I like that direction. On a few of these songs, there's, there's some flat-out classic rock cliches, that bloated ballad sirens or that, that blues shuffle, let the records play. But when they start experimenting a little bit, like with Pendulum and a few other tracks, Yellow Moon, Infallible, I think they're headed in the right direction. About half of this record sounds like Pearl Jam is still a pretty vital band. It's not ranking with their best work, but I'd, I'd give it a burn it. Well, you have long been a Pearl Jam apologist, <laughs> and I don't understand I, that. I don't like all their records, I, I, but uh, the last couple have been okay. I like, think. Well, when's the last time you went and played Backspacer? 
I I just played it the uh, the other day actually in, in listening to this record and I thought this holds up pretty well. All right. Well, you know, I I think there's an okay EP here with the faster songs like Getaway and Mind Your Manners and Lightning Bolt the title track. But even then, it's nothing that Pearl Jam hasn't done before. The the pre-release interviews, they were all talking about how this is their Pink Floyd record, right? And they seem to think that that putting a little bit of echo on the mix uh, makes them Pink Floyd, and it doesn't. Something like Yellow Moon, which which you praised as a departure, I think is just a bombastic U2 arena ballad. And even worse, Future Days is Pearl Jam trying to do Elton John ballads. <laughs> there should be no ballads in the Pearl Jam canon, and really? there certainly should be no ukulele. You know, Eddie Vedder made a whole solo album based on ukes, and then they come back here. I, I don't know. The fast parts are just okay. The slow parts are deadly. I'm being kind to hmm. give it a burn it. So we both got to the Burn It rating, but from different directions. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Next week, Jim, we have a live appearance and interview with Nico Case. As always, Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Anthony Martinez, and our intern, Jake Smith. And one final note about Halloween on the way out. Halloween 1967. First gig ever by Iggy and the Stooges. How about that? On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, guys. This is John in Connecticut. I just had to speak up in defense of Elvis Costello and the Roots album. Uh, Jim, you said Elvis tries to pass himself off as a master of every genre, and I think that's totally unfair. Ever since his country album, back in the early 80s, Almost Blue, he's known he'd be ridiculed for this kind of collaboration. But he's a restless musical tourist. He knows he's an amateur in these different genres, but he wants to explore them. I don't think it's fair to slam him for that. Greg, you said the album sags in its second half. Do me a favor. Cue up the title song, which is the second-to-last song, about a minute into it. Listen to how the strings give way to electric guitar, then brass, then they all build to a crescendo. That's not nothing. Wise of ghost. Wise of when you're gonna rise up, rise up, ghost. Feel some size up, rise up, ghost. All in all, this is a great album. I think it deserves a list. I always look forward to the show, guys. Take care. Hey, guys. Dan here from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Listening to the latest False Sampler podcast, I was a little bit distressed by the treatment of the Ham album. After listening to you guys talk to Cheap Trick and their Live at Budokan interview, I wondered what made Ham so different from Cheap Trick, right? We have these two great pop artists really not saying anything whatsoever. It's like, I want you to want me. How different is that from uh, I fumbled it and I can't, and when it came down to the wire.
I don't know, it felt like a gender bias. It felt like a kind of sexist bent on a great album. One that stands up with Budokan. Just got in the car after a full day of thoughts that were completely echoed by Willis Earl Beale. <laughs> it's like he read my mind, I switched on the radio, and he said everything that I'd been thinking. It was incredible. I really appreciated hearing his opinion and knowing that someone else in the world thinks the way I do about not wanting to specialize, about being nothing. It's something that I've been So anyway, my name's Manita. I live in Seattle, Washington. Take care. Thanks. Uh, my name is Vera Klisch, and I am an old lady. I switched on the radio, and I heard this singer sing this beautiful song, which is called, I just caught the name, Nobody Knows. I said, I think it is such a beautiful song. It can move a stone. Thank you very much. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Come in from the crimson sky.